Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm excited about today. Uh, you know, many of us, we grew up, we were watching, uh, you know, fairy tales, and, and we remember this mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all, right? We remember that. And uh, we remember the queen speaking into the mirror, looking in the mirror, and everything was great until Snow White's picture came up, right? And then everything changed. Yeah, everything changed. And, and yet, we look at that and we think about the fairy tales. We think about growing up with the messages that we've heard and the messages that put it in our minds. But how often do we still ask that question today? How often do we look in the mirror and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Who has the most likes? Who has the most followers? Who gets the most attention at work? How do I look compared to people in my neighborhood? Mirror, mirror on the wall. And have you ever thought about this, that all the answer depends on the mirror? It's really the mirror that we're looking into that gives us the definition of that and tells us where we stand. And so the question comes as we start this new series is where, where do we find our image? Who are we listening to? What mirror are we looking in? What defines us? I'm excited about this new series. We're starting in this three-week series. And in this series called Image, we're gonna look at Psalm 139, which is one of the most famous Psalms in all the Bible. It's so deep, it's so rich. And, and we're gonna see as God's word unfolds to us and God just says, hey, this is how I've called you to live. This is what I want you to do. Because the fact of the matter is we define ourselves by either the culture or we define ourselves by God. We find our image in what the culture says about us or we find our image in what God says about us. For many, us, many guys, right, we define our image based on our work or our job or our career. And when things are going really well at work, man, we got a little bounce in our step, we got a little swagger going, we're feeling good about things. But when things aren't, it impacts everything. And women so many times define themselves by our looks or by your what you wear, relationships. And when things are good, man, things are great, but when they're not, yet how does God define us? How does God see us when we ask that question mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the fairest of them all? I love the Olympics. It's Olympic time. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics. Anybody else love the Olympics? Anybody else? Awesome, way to go, way to go. You know, I mean, I just get into the Olympics. I get into like every sport, you know. It's, I've never watched swimming besides the Olympics, right? I mean, anybody like turning on, hey, swimming's on today. I can't wait to watch that. No, but in the Olympics, like we're all gathered around the TV with my girls, we're watching, we're like, butterfly it, man, come on, you know, you're almost there. We're cheering USA, USA. We're, we, we love the Olympics, we get into it. And it's so fun. And, and the Olympics, right, it's all about competition and it's all about how you're doing. It's all about performance and those things. But, but we get into that. We get excited about that. And, and you're good, right? You can win a gold medal. Man, that's awesome. You get silver. That's still pretty good. But, you know, you could have gotten gold. And bronze, that's all right, you know. But if you're fourth, you're like, dude, I did nothing. You know, I didn't get anything, you know. But you're like still one of the best in the world. But that competition always spills over into our mindset, doesn't it? And in our mindset, we kind of live that way. We, we kind of compare ourselves with others. We kind of compare, how are we doing? You know, do I have a gold medal day? Is it a silver medal day? I mean, how am I doing compared to the people around me at work? How am I doing compared to the people around me in my neighborhood? How am I doing? And the problem really becomes is when that mindset spills over into our relationship with God. And we think that God's looking at us and God's just judging us based on our performance. And God's going, well, I love you more because, man, you did really well today. You know, great, you were at church. Good job, way to go. So, you know, hey, I got it going. But, but what happens when we mess up? 
When this whole works-based theology begins to kick in in our hearts and our lives and we think, man, I can earn God's favor, I can earn God's reward, I can earn God's blessing. And yet it permeates our culture and it permeates our minds and it permeates our hearts. But it's not just that. Do you realize last year, Americans as a whole spent over $12 billion on elective plastic surgery? 12 billion with a B, right? Billion dollars on elective. Why? Because so many times it's about how we look. We spend hours trying to pick out the right clothes. We spend hours trying to dress up the outside because we think that's the measure for us. That's our image. What do we portray? There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Samuel. Samuel was this prophet and God used this prophet in a great way. And then toward the end of his life, Samuel was kind of like, well, you know, I've had a great run here. It's been awesome. I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna kick back. I got a little lake house down here I'm gonna go live at. And God comes to him and he says, hey, no, 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 Sam, listen, I'm not done with you. I've still got a plan or a purpose for your life. There's still breath in your lungs for a reason. So, so Samuel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go anoint the next king. Samuel's like, God, I don't know if you know this, but we already got a king and he's probably not gonna be happy if I go anoint a new king. And God's like, well, I'm telling you, be obedient. Trust me, follow me. And Samuel's like, okay, I was gonna retire, but maybe, okay, all right, I'll do this. And so he says, go down to Bethlehem and there's a guy named Jesse and Jesse's got these sons and I want you to go anoint one of his sons as king. So Samuel gets his stuff together. He heads down to Bethlehem and he says, Jesse, bring out your sons. And so, so Jesse brings out his sons, right? And he's got these seven sons that he brings out and he lines them up and Samuel walks in. It's kind of like the bachelor right there, you know, all these guys and Samuel's looking at these guys and sure enough, man, he's like, the oldest, that guy, good looking, he's tall, looks like he works out, you know, I mean, he's, he's got it going on. It's gotta be him. And God's like, nope, nope. And he's like, well, maybe it's the second one. You know, look at his robe. I mean, that's a designer robe. I mean, that's, a, that's, yeah, it's gotta be him. I mean, God's like, nope, not him. I mean, well, what about the third guy? Look at his personality. I mean, he's got it going on. I mean, nope. Well, this guy, nope, nope, no. Samuel's like, well, what's going on? Jesse, you got any more sons? Jesse's like, yeah, I do. I got one more. He's this young kid. He's out in the field. I didn't even bring him in. I didn't think he fit the image of a king, right? He didn't even measure up. I didn't even bring him in. And then God says this remarkable thing there in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, I think it's great to perform well. I think it's great. I think we ought to do our best, whatever we're called to do, do it all to the glory of God. Be your best, fulfill your full potential, go at it. But where does your image come from? Where does your worth and value come from? Is it performance, is it looks? Or is there something different that God's looking at? A.W. Tozer, I love Tozer, and A.W. Tozer, he, he wrote this. He said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. So what do you think God's looking at? When you look in the mirror, what do you, what do you think God's saying to you? What do you think God is saying to me? What defines you? What drives you? What inspires you? Where's your image? There was a guy named Mark Rutland and Mark Rutland, uh, 
he heard about a survey, a survey that was taken uh, on Americans. And it was the top three thing that Americans want to hear. All right? Top three things. That's all of us, right? Uh, top three things that Americans want to hear. And the first one, he kind of thought about it. He's like, yeah, I figured this. The first one is this. What do you think it is? I, I love you. Exactly right. You guys are so smart. The first thing that Americans want to hear, we all want to hear that, right, is I love you. I love you. Why? Because it, it speaks to the heart. <laughs> right? it, it, it does something here. Maybe you grew up in a home where maybe you had a dad or, or somebody who never told you they loved you. And you still carry that weight today. And oh, I pray that we would be people who say those words. Never think that those words are implied. God, all of us, those words have to be said. I love you. I love you. Say them often. Say it. The second one, the second thing that Americans want to hear was this. I forgive you. I forgive you. Interesting, isn't it? Now, why do you think, you know, I love you, we kind of get that. Why do you think I forgive you? I think for all of us, we know I'm not perfect. <laughs> I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to mess up. And when we hear somebody speaking to us and just say, I forgive you, it's like a deep breath, right? Thank you. Thank you. Only they could forgive us. But the third phrase really surprised him. The third thing that Americans want to hear, right? I love you. I forgive you. Here's the third thing that Americans want to hear. It's this. Supper's ready. Isn't that hilarious? Supper's ready. We want to hear that, don't we? Now think about why is that? Why do we want to hear that? Because we want to belong. <laughs> we want to have a family. We want to have people around us who love us unconditionally. People who just say, hey, come on. Come on over. Supper's ready. Come on in. Come to the dining room. Sit down. You're important. You matter. Not the mistakes that you made. Who cares? You matter and you have a place at the table. And that's what God wants to say to us today. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 139. If you're looking for Psalms, it's probably easiest just to open to the middle of the Bible. And you'll probably hit it right there. Uh, Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you go to the Next Steps kiosk out in the gallery, we would give you a Bible, just one for you. Uh, also, maybe you have a mobile device, you can access the scripture, or we'll put the words on the screen. But pick up here in Psalm 139. And look, if you look at the very top part in the script, it says this. Before we get to the text, verse 1, before we get there, it says at the top, for the director of music, for the director of music. Now, you know what's cool about this is this is a worship song that they would have sung back in the temple. You know, like we just sang worship songs, we're singing, you know why, and we being bathed in music and, and pointing our eyes and our attention to God. This would be one of the songs that they sang back then. And there is so much power in music. We have a lot of people in our church who are in the music industry and music field, and, and I'm so thankful for you guys. Thankful for the songs that you write, the songs that you sing, because you are impacting lives. I think most of us can remember a song that we heard when we were growing up. We don't hear it for 15 years and we can come back. We just sing all the words, can't we? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? And why? Because that music gets in your heart, your soul. And so God, when he created music, he created us. And, and he knew the power of music. 
And so it says, for the director of music, and this is a worship song. It's divided into four stanzas, six verses each, you know, so you have uh, one through six, and then you keep going down there, seven through 12, and 13 uh, through 18, and 19 through 24. So we're going to look at one through 12 today and see these first two stanzas. But think about this as a worship song. And the second thing you see, it says, of David, of David. Now, who's David? Well, David was that kid who was out in the field, and David was that kid that when Samuel showed up and said, Jesse, you got any more sons? I've come to anoint the king. He said, yeah, I got one more. And he's out there. I didn't bring him in. Samuel says, go get him. And he anoints him as king. And Daniel, as we studied in Daniel, was a man who stayed true to God. And so was David. David was a man who was a man after God's heart all of his life. He lived for an audience of one. He he loved the Lord passionately. It doesn't mean that he was perfect. Oh, no. I mean, not by any stretch. I mean, David was a man who was king and he was very successful. I mean, God blessed him, but he blew it in his life too. He committed adultery. <laughs> and then he had Bathsheba's husband killed in order to cover it up, tried to hide. But when he was convicted of that sin, he came clean and he repented. And Psalm 51 is just an outpouring of David's heart to the Lord. Oh, Lord. And even at the end of David's life, he was known as a man after God's heart. He lived it. He lived it. And God saw something different in his brothers. God saw something different in David. And David wrote this. So pick up here in verse 1. Now we're going to see three theological terms that I want you to get because they reveal the nature of God. And the first one is this, is that God is omniscient. Omniscient. Omniscient, you know, omni, all, is the science, knowledge, all knowledgeable, all knowing. Our God is all knowing. Oh Lord, verse 1, you have searched me and you know me. David just comes right out of the gate and says, God, here you go. You have searched me and you know me. Isn't that awesome to think though? That out of a world of 7 billion people, that you're not simply a number to God. You're not simply a grain of sand to God. That God knows you. The Bible says he knows every hair on your head. It says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. God knows you. And David lived that way. God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. I love that. David says, God, you not only know what I do, you know why I do it. Right? We, we can do a lot of things on the outside, but, but what's the motivation? What drives us to do that? Is it to please God? Is it to bring glory to God? Or is it for a selfish ambition? And David says, you not only know me, you know my actions, you know my thoughts. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. With everything about me, you are familiar. You know how sometimes we try to hide from God? It's the oldest trick in the book. I mean, really, you go back to Adam and Eve. Remember, they ate the fruit and Eve eats it and she hands it to Adam. Adam eats it. And immediately, right, the guilt and the shame comes over them. And what do they say? Hey, let's go confess to God. No, they say, hey, let's hide. You know, <laughs> we're going to go hide behind this bush. Maybe God won't find us here. <laughs> and God's walking through the garden like, really? Come on. 
I created that bush. You know, I mean, it's like, come on, but, but they tried to hide from God. And don't we do that? How do we hide from God? Our busyness. Maybe if I just stay really busy, then I won't have to stop and be honest with God. Sometimes we try to hide from God by medicating ourselves, medicate the pain, whether that's alcohol or Netflix or whatever it is. And God says, be still and know that I'm God. And David, you can just kind of feel him pulling back here and just saying, here I am, God. I know you know this, so it's not like, you know, you created the bush, you created me. I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be real, I'm gonna be authentic. I'm just gonna put it out there. He says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Have you ever started to say something and then this still small voice is going, don't say it, don't say it. And you're like, and you want to so bad, you know, or you're like, ah. It's like God is already going, hey, I know what you're getting ready to say. But before it's even on your tongue, I know what's getting ready to come out. You know, hold on. He says, you hid me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Think about that. God's hand upon you. Verse six, he just sums it up. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He's like, it's hard for me to even get. But God, you know me that intimately. You know me that well. Jesus was talking in the New Testament in Matthew chapter six. Jesus was telling his disciples. It's kind of a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And and he was saying, hey guys, listen, when you fast, now fasting is a spiritual discipline. Uh, fasting is something we don't like to do, let's be honest, right? Fasting is where we give up food or we give up social media or we give up something for a time. And every time you have the urge for that, you know, that probably, you pray. So it moves your attention to God instead of the thing that, you know, was kind of consuming your heart or your life. And so the disciples, you know, the Pharisees, they would fast. And, and so Jesus is talking to them about, hey, here's how you fast. And he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. You know, they're the ones, he says, you know, they go to lunch and they're like, I can't eat, I'm fasting, okay? You know, I'm sorry, but I'm fasting. You know, he's like, come on, don't do that. Don't try to be super spiritual. Don't try to put on a show. He says, I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And Jesus even said, hey, God's looking not only at what you do, God's looking at your heart. God's looking at why you do it. And as you think about the image, where does that come from? What motivates you? What defines you? What drives you? And for us, many times we think, man, if I could just get the approval of God. But what we have to realize is is that God's all-knowing. And God loves us anyway. For those of us who are parents, we know, we tell our kids, hey, go clean your room, right? And, And we want them to do that, not so that we'll love them more, but because they already love us, because they're a part of the family. We want them to be obedient. We want them to go clean their room. And then we go in and we expect their room and we don't go, 
wow, that, that was a gold medal room. Way to go. Yeah, we don't go, you know what? That was really only a bronze. Sorry, I'm only going to love you a little bit because <laughs> your performance was like this, okay? So you're only going to get a little bit of love, like silver medal. I'm not giving you gold medal love. No, we're going to love them unconditionally, aren't we? They're our kids. We're going to love them even if they don't clean the room as much as we want them to, and we're going to be upset with them. There's going to be discipline involved, but we're still going to love them. And David says, hey, I can try to hide from God all I want to, but I'm just going to lay it out there, God, because I know this, you're going to love me anyway. (laughs) You're all knowing and you're all loving. Thank you. And here I am. Our God is omniscient. He keeps going in verse seven. He says, our God is omnipresent, all present, all the time, (laughs) everywhere. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David starts thinking about it. His mind's like, where can I go? He says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. He starts looking at these extremes, right? You got the vertical extreme, the heavens and the depths. You have the the horizontal extreme, the, the rising of the sun. He says, where can I go? God, you are always there. You are ever present. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You know, the right hand for most people, that's the dominant hand. That's the strong hand. It's like God just saying, I've got you. I've got you in my hand. You are mine. Where can we go? That God's not with us. Where can we go that we have to to be afraid because God's there. Maybe for you, you've recently moved here, you know, and it's a new place. And I'll tell you this, God's here and God's got you. Maybe you miss people back home and you're wondering, God was there, but I want to tell you God's here. Maybe for you, your kids are going to a new school or maybe you're going to a new school. God's there. God's got you. Maybe for you, you're here today and you've just recently been married. I want to tell you, God's got you. Maybe for you, you're here today and your marriage is really hard. God's got you. And He's with you. He's there. He's present. Maybe you're here today and you have a new child in the home. God's got you. Maybe you're here today and you wish you had a new child in the home. God's got you. He's there. Wherever you are, God's with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't given up on you. And David knew that, you know. David who faced some intense opposition. David who went through some horrible, challenging times. But he knew, God, you're with me. God, you're for me. God, you're there. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David goes, even if I go to the darkest place, 
in my guilt, in my shame, in my hurt, in my pain, even if I go to the darkest place, God, you're there. And God, you've got me. Jesus told a story in the New Testament, one of the most famous stories. There's a story of the prodigal son, and you, you may remember this story. Jesus said this kid's growing up at home, and, and things are great. He's in the presence of his dad. His dad loves him, and things are good. And, and then this kid starts looking out at the world and saying, I want that, right? I want to do that. I want to party like a rock star. I want to do that. I want to go out. And he gets to the point, he looks at his dad. He's like, Dad, I just wish you were dead. I'm tired of living by your rules. I'm tired of living in this house. I'm out of here. I want my money. I want my inheritance. And the dad gave it to him. Have you ever thought about that? That the dad gave it to him? And then he went away. And he spent it in wild living, the Bible says. He just lived it up, right? He went away the world. He went away the culture. He just went and did all these things. And everything was fine until the money ran out. And then he found himself in a pig pen. The worst place for a Jewish boy, a pig pen. And it says that he longed to eat the food that he was feeding to the pigs. But in the pig pen, it says this, that he came to his senses. At the worst point of his life, God was drawing him home. God was inviting him back. God didn't give up on him. God didn't leave him. And this kid comes to his senses and he, and he starts to think about his dad. He starts to think about home. And he starts to think about things that are right. And he, he pulls himself out of this big bit. He starts that journey home. And he's not sure what he's going to find. In fact, he comes up with this whole speech about how he's messed up and he's blown it. And he knows his dad's going to be mad. And he knows his dad's going to condemn him and all this stuff. But what happens is he's coming down the path and the dad's sitting on the porch. And his dad looks and he sees him from a long way off. And he starts running toward his son. And he throws his arms around him and he starts kissing him all over the place. And this kid is dirty and he's messy. And the kid pushes his dad back and starts going into his speech based on performance. I want to come back. I want to earn my way back. I want to be a hired servant. And the dad's like, stop it. You're my son. You didn't do anything to earn that and you can't ever do anything to lose that. I love. And I'm with you at home, and I'm with you in the pig pen, and I'm with you wherever you are. You are mine. That's our God. Our God is omniscient. Our God is omnipresent. And then our God is omnipotent. And what you see out of these 12 verses is this. Our God is all powerful. He is greater than anything we face. And I believe the Apostle Paul was thinking about that as he wrote this in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. My image, my worth, my value. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Praise be to God for that truth. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God is there and God is for you. 
that God is with you today. And he is greater than anything you will ever face in your life. Find your image in him. Three implications that I want you to get today. Three things that I want you to know. Number one is this. We are made in the image of God. You know that? If you go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, what that means is this, is that there is a God-shaped hole in every one of us that can only be filled by God. And yet, what do we do? We try to fill it with all kinds of things, don't we? But all those things, they don't satisfy. You know, we try to fill it with money. If I can just have more money, that's going to meet all my needs. That's going to take care of all my problems. And so we run after it, run after it, run after it. But you've never heard somebody say, okay, I've got enough money. I'm there. I got it, right? No, why? Because this doesn't satisfy it's okay to have it. It's okay to do a great job, but, but it won't ever ultimately satisfy. That's where your image can't be there. And many for us, we run after approval. We run after what other people think. And so we try to get as many likes, as many followers as all that we can. And yet nobody ever says, I got enough. I got enough. Yeah, no, why? It just won't satisfy. It's only God. You were created in the image of God. You were created in the image of God. And when you fully come alive is when you begin to realize that and I begin to realize that and we begin to live it and we become image bearers of God. C.S. Lewis says, you know what? Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. (laughs) So true, isn't it? See, you and I, we were created in the image of God. Here's the second implication is this. Through Christ, You find your image in God. You know, we look in the mirror so often, don't we? And when we look in the mirror, what do we see? We see our flaws. Immediately, it's not that when you look in the mirror, we go, wow, look at that. No, what do we do? We look in the mirror, we go, oh, my nose is too big. You know, my my ears, I don't know if they're the same high. You know, we we kind of start looking at this and we see our flaws. And we look in the mirror long enough and we go, ah, man, I don't know if I measure up. I don't know if I'm tall enough. I don't know if I've worked out enough. I don't know if I've got enough body fat or not too much body fat. You know, I mean, we, we, kind of, we look at all this. We start looking, you know, the mistakes I've made. I look back, I look back, I look back. But through Christ, through the grace that we've received at the cross, not anything that we did to earn it, but by God's incredible, immeasurable grace, When we look in the mirror of God's redemption, what do we see? We see that we were made new. We were redeemed. We are restored by God's grace. And what we hear God saying to us is this, I forgive you. I redeem you. I've restored you. Man, that changes how you feel about yourself. And instead of, hey, I got to hit every deal to get a little bounce in my step. All of a sudden I go, wait a minute, Christ died for me. Christ redeemed me. Christ restored me. Praise be to God. It doesn't matter what else happens in this life. Look at what God has done for me. Wow. Wow. And the third implication is this, that we are called to reflect God's image to the world. We are called to be image bearers of God. And if you look at our lives, do we say, hey, do I, do I bear the image of the world? Or do I bear the image of God? You know, the sun, it it has all the power, right? And it shines on the moon. The moon doesn't have any power. The the moon simply reflects the power of the sun. And for you and me, that we reflect God's image. 
We respond to people out of God's image. We respond to people out of the worth that we receive in Christ. That's how we're able to say to people, I love you. I forgive you. You have a place of grace because that's what I've received in my life. When you think about it, those statements that Americans long to hear, really it's the summation of the gospel, isn't it? I love you. I forgive you. And supper's ready. God says, I love you. I love you. Regardless of what you've done, I love you. And and I forgive you through Christ. We all want to hear that. And then supper's ready. You know where Jesus is? He's preparing an eternal feast for us. The wedding feast of the Lamb. And when you and I die, we awake and we see the face of Christ. He says, come on in. (laughs) Supper's ready. You've got a place to belong. You've got a place where you are fully loved, where you are fully known, where you are fully accepted. You are mine. Come on in. Why? Because Christianity is about a relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's not about we get everything right on the outside. It's about a relationship with a God of grace and a God of mercy who calls you by name and says you are mine. Do you know that, God? Is that where your image comes from? What are you living for today? What mirror are you looking into? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Guys, I know we all deal with this. Every one of us. So would you just be honest with God today? (laughs) Maybe you've been hiding from God for a long time. Maybe you've never really been real. But today as you open your heart and just say, search me, oh Lord. Search my heart. What am I living for? Where does my image come from? Is it from the things of the world? Or God, is it from you? Maybe today God's speaking to you and it's a day of salvation, a day where you just say, you know what? I want my life to be defined by Christ. Maybe for you, God's speaking to you about taking a next step. Maybe it's baptism. And honestly, God's been talking to you about that for a while, but but every time you think about baptism, you think, what are other people gonna think? And today, just say, you know what? I'm tired of that. Maybe for you, it's being a part of the family of God, joining the church, or being a community group. I don't know. But how in your life are you going to start to spend time listening to what God says and not just all of our time consumed by the world? So Father God, here we are, your people, your disciples today. And Father, I confess, God, this is a struggle. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in what the world says and define ourselves that way. But today, God, we wanna be honest. We don't wanna hide. We wanna lay it out before you. God, we know when we come to you, what we find is grace. 
What we find is forgiveness. What we find is hope and peace and purpose and joy. And what we find is you running to meet us and throwing your arms around us and saying, welcome home. So Lord, today we come to receive that grace and to say we want to live as image bearers of a God of grace. Transform us, oh God, from the inside out. Transform us, God, and give us a heart after you. Let us be men and women after your heart. Men and women that you use for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we dedicate our lives to you. Amen.